My name is John Lawrence, and I'm going to read today's teaching text. The text for this week is from Psalm 90, 1 and 2, and verse 12. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let's pray. Father, I pray for our church and for John's message today. I pray that you would open up our hearts and use John's words to speak to us in new ways. I pray that we would come to better understand your love for us and that John's message would bring new meaning to these words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey friends, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I pray that this will be a fantastic year for you, a great year in which God expands your knowledge of him. He expands your trust in him. He gives you an increased ability to love him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. I wish that we were starting out this year worshiping together in our new facility that we're renting, but uh, there's a rezoning meeting that's happening on January 20th. Please pray for that to go really great to have this place uh, rezoned from funeral home to a church. In the meantime, we're getting settled, we're painting, doing carpet, all those things. And my hope is that we're able to worship together in some form or fashion in person uh, by the end of the month. So please stay tuned on that. I hope that you've had a great Christmas and New Year. I am a complete sucker for a new year. In fact, the week between Christmas and New Year's is very consistently one of my favorite weeks, actually my favorite week of the entire year. Uh, some of you will know that the actual celebration of, of Christmas in like Christian tradition and history is 12 days long, hence the 12 days of Christmas, and it begins on Christmas Day, so 12 days of celebrating uh, the birth of Christ. These 12 days together are actually called Christmas Tide, maybe a word that you've never heard before. It's called Christmas Tide. And Christmas Tide, or the 12 days of Christmas, lead to the celebration of what's called Epiphany, or the Feast of the Three Kings. And this is like remembering the wise men or the astrologers coming to visit Jesus. Interestingly, in primitive Christianity, uh, Epiphany was celebrated even more than Christmas because for the largely like growing Gentile population of the church, Epiphany, these foreign astrologers, these foreign wise men worshiping Jesus, signaled, like the, foreshadowed the coming of Gentiles into the family of God. And so Epiphany was a, a really a big deal. Now, for me, the, the fondness of Christmas tide of this season between Christmas and New Year's leading to Epiphany is just a season in which consistently for me, sweet things happen. It's like in this in-between time, God takes my dreamer that has gotten, you know, rusty from use over the year and a little bit tired and just scrapes it off and refreshes it and winds it up again and gets ready to dream and get started for another year. Fun things have happened in my life. Meaningful things have happened in this Christmas tide season over the last couple of years. Probably six or seven years ago, uh, during Christmas tide, Emily and I resolved to start reading the Bible together and praying together. And that turned out to be a very consequential thing for our marriage. And, uh, and you know, in some ways, was kind of the first domino that fell in leading us years later to launch Cornerstone. Four years ago, actually on December 29th, uh, during Christmas tide, I was sitting in Kerf, uh, Cirque coffee shop while my timing belt was getting changed at Laser Imports. 
And that was the day where I felt like while sitting in Cirque, the Lord said to me, it's time to get moving on church planting. And so I call that day Conception Day. It always makes people slightly uncomfortable. But it was during Christmastide. And uh, every year there's some kind of fresh thing that happens for me in my own heart. And Emily told me actually this week that she has learned that I'm going to have it because I'm going to have increased energy and like drive during Christmas tide. She knows that's a really great time to ask me to do stuff around the house. Uh, Christmas tide is this liminal space where, uh, you know, the old year has gone and we have this blank slate of a new year and we can get to dream again. Now I can imagine that some of you are reluctant to begin dreaming about 2021 because you're curious how similar it's going to look to 2020. 2020, we were all so hopeful. It's like the year of perfect vision, the year where things are going to be great, and it went so differently than expected. Some of you are probably weary. Some of you may be more like me and approach this year with a sense of hope and faith and optimism. And you're making plans for the year. You're like, we're going we're gonna to have some fun. We're going to get some things done. You're asking yourself the question, what are we going to do this year? We're asking that question as well as a church. And in fact, if you'll, if you'll tune in again next week, I'm going to share a Vision 2021 sermon. Some of you may have begun seeing or hearing things here and there about the ancient paths from Jeremiah chapter 6. This really rich text is going to narrate a lot of our year together, the ancient paths. We're going to talk next week about what this year looks like for us as a church and answer the question, what are we going to do? But today, on the first Sunday of this new year, I don't want to focus on plans and tactics and calendaring. Instead, I want to reframe and ask a different question. Not, what are you going to do this year? Instead, I want to invite you to reflect on the question, who are you going to be? Or I could ask it like this. What identity is going to inform how you steward your time and relationships, your finances, your work, all of the things that make up who you are as a person? What vision or version of yourself will be your rule or your compass showing you which direction is true north? Now, a a core assumption that I have in all of this is that our doing in life is chiefly informed by our sense of being. Our doing is informed by our sense of being. As we go about life and we make choices, we're operating out of some perhaps unspoken internal vision of what a person like me uh, would say or do in this situation. We have a sense of who we are or who we're striving to be, and that informs how we engage in the world, the the way that we talk, the way that we carry ourselves, the way that we steward our finances, our relationships, or blah, 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 blah. You get the idea. Our sense of being or who we want to be perceived as being informs our doing. Now we could ask as, um, as part of our reflection, will your professional identity be your first the thing that informs how you behave? Will your professional identity as a student or a nurse or a consultant or a teacher or a parent be the thing that chiefly informs how you engage in the world? Will your political affiliation be the thing that chiefly informs who you are and consequently how you engage in the world? 
Will your insecurities or your aspirations be the primary wind filling your sails, giving you a sense of direction in how to be in the world? As you think about the year 2021, instead of in this time asking, what are you going to do? I want you to entertain the question, who are you going to be? And how is that going to affect how you steward your days? John Tyson, in his book, The Burden is Light, uh, considers how Jesus uh, developed his own sense of being that informed his doing. And Tyson contrasts what he calls the American Jesus with the authentic Jesus. Follow me here. Tyson said, If we were to write the Gospels today, uh, they would be infused with a winner's identity. They'd probably go something like this. Jesus was born of a virgin, a great start. And as a teenager, he was passionate about his father's work. He started his ministry with this prophetic declaration about the kingdom of God, fulfilling truth in a new and spectacular way. He then called disciples, gathered momentum, confronted hypocrisy, healed the sick, raised the dead, challenged Herod. Then he voluntarily died to become the savior of the world. He rose again in victory, proving to everyone that he was alive and then ascended into heaven. And right before he arrived, the heavens opened and the father announced, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The angels stood to their feet. The disciples raised their hands in victory and all of heaven rejoiced. Tyson says if we were to rewrite the gospels, they would go like this. But then he continues. He says, the actual Gospels are not ordered like this. They show Jesus spending almost 30 years in relative obscurity. And before he healed a person, raised the dead, confronted hypocrisy, made disciples, preached to the crowd, and died and rose again, he was baptized. And at Jesus' baptism, before he had done anything, his father declared, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Tyson comments, says Jesus hadn't done anything public or important yet. So what could the Father have been pleased with? Well, it's simple. Relationship. Jesus spent 30 years abiding in his Father's love, and that was enough. What pleased the Father was not Jesus' accomplishments, but his intimacy. And this is the same thing that pleases him in our lives today. Because Jesus was aware of his father's approval before starting his ministry, he didn't have to compete with others during his ministry. The father's approval gave Jesus the security to avoid an addiction to success and scandalously give away his life in love. In Tyson's vision here, the American Jesus performs in order to gain an identity. He does all of these things in, in, in Tyson's kind of mock version of the story or the American story. He does all of these things in order to get his dad to say, I'm proud of you. Some of you may have grown up with a parent where like only if you perform did you know that you were loved. And so you've been working in order to gain this identity, to gain a sense of self. Uh, and this is just not how it went with Jesus. In the authentic Jesus of the Gospels, Jesus' doing flows from his being. 
He knows who he is. He is one implicitly approved of by the Father. And from this place of implicit approval and love and belonging and acceptance, knowing where he fits, he does his ministry, working from an identity, not for or to gain an identity. Jesus knows who he is. His Father said, you're my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Too many of us sweat and labor and strain ourselves in order to gain an identity. We don't know who we are. We haven't the faintest idea who we are. We do all kinds of things to compete and to measure up in our you know, curated vision of ourselves that we project to the world through social media and in our, in our assets and our professional life and our children. Many of the things that we do, if we were really honest, we're doing in order to gain, in order to gain a sense of self, a sense of approval from other people that we don't feel internally or implicitly. And in doing so, we become quite great friends with anxiety and depression, and we become victims of comparison. But the way of Jesus liberates us to work from an identity of one who is completely known and loved by the Father. Eugene Peterson said this. He said, The reality is that baptism, and not Myers-Briggs, or we might add the Enneagram or our net worth or any letters after our name, defines who I am. The reality is that baptism and not Myers-Briggs defines who I am. Baptism, again, Jesus, the, the, the relationship between baptism and how his doing flowed from his being. And then again, Peterson brings up this theme of baptism. Well, why does this come up several times? Well, we, we should explore the question and ask, how does baptism define who I am? Or what happens in baptism that can inform our sense of being. And as we, we begin this new year, we're going to have a conversation about baptism. And I want to explore three things, three ways that baptism can inform our sense of being. One of the first dynamics of baptism that can inform our sense of being is adoption. We see in John 1, 11, it says, uh, Jesus, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. But to all who would receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We see it in 1 John 3, 1. See how great a love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called children of God. And that is what we are. Like Jesus in baptism, our Heavenly Father speaks these words of approval and acceptance and belonging over us. You are my daughter that I love. With you, I am well pleased. You are my son that I love. In you, I am well pleased. How does baptism inform our sense of being, our sense of identity in the world? First, it informs us that we are adopted into the family of God. Like Jesus, we are one who is implicitly loved, one who has been chosen, selected to be part of the family, one who belongs. This year, who am I? I am one who belongs in the family of God. I am one who, uh, before I have done anything to prove myself this year, I am one who is loved. 
A second way that baptism informs our sense of being comes from the imagery that we see in baptism in the New Testament of death and resurrection. Uh, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Romans 6.11, Paul says, count yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. In baptism, we see this theme of death and resurrection. Who am I? I am one who has died to sin. Therefore, this frees me because I have died to sin to say no to habits and thoughts and all these patterns that lead to death and destruction. I'm dead to those things. I'm cut off from those things, but I am alive to Christ. Uh, our, our baptism gives us a sense of, of being. I am one who has died and who has come back to life, and that can inform our doing. It gives us the ability to say no to some things and yes to other things. I love uh, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul's talking uh, to young uh, Timothy. And he's talking about the people who are really hungry to get rich in this life. And Paul says, and you can just hear the authority of an older man speaking into a younger man's life. He says, but you, man of God, flee from all of this. You, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and endurance. Baptism informs our sense of self. Who am I? I am one who has been adopted into the family of God, one who is implicitly loved. Who am I? I am one who with Christ has died to sin and has been raised to new life. I am being resurrected. Therefore, I'm one who says no to that which leads to death, and I say yes to that which leads to life. And then the third way in which our baptism informs our sense of being is we see the association between baptism and being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the message that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, uh, and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this message is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all who, whom the Lord our God will call. Repent be baptized, and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 11. The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. What does this mean? The Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you? It means there's a, a, a sense of purpose in you. That within you, like because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, like there is a life force working for God's good ends in you. There's courage in you. Uh, Paul said again to Timothy, uh, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind or self-discipline. There's courage. There's purpose. I think in the best sense, there's kind of a troublemaking kingdom spirit in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So keep in step with that spirit. Today, as we begin this new year, I've wanted to start in a place that's somewhat unconventional, focusing on not on what we're doing, but who we are being. And for the Christian, our manner of being is inseparable from our baptism. And today, I want to invite you to remember your baptism. Now, some of you were perhaps never baptized, in which case, the kind of conversation I want to have with you is different, which is about baptism, about joining God's family through 
baptism. But for many of you, you recall when it happened or you know that it happened. Maybe you were baptized as a baby or you were confirmed. You're baptized as a teenager or maybe as an adult. I know for me, I was seven or eight years old, and Brother Brummett at Woodlake Assembly of God baptized me in the baptistry there, and it was a really meaningful experience for me as a child. It was a sincere like conversion experience. What terrible, sinful things had young Jonathan Odom done? I have no idea, but I knew that God had washed me clean. I knew that I had been filled with the Holy Spirit. Something changed in my life. Now, in our tradition, when a person is going to be baptized, they're asked some version of the following three questions. The first question is this. It's, it's do you renounce the forces of wickedness and repent of your sin? This is essentially a negative question inviting you to say a big, loud no to uh, the sinful desires, to our, the enemy of our soul, to like the work of wickedness in the world. It's saying a big, fat no. We're renouncing any former allegiances. Uh, we're, we're wiping away our past, saying no to all of that. Do you renounce the forces of wickedness and repent of your sin? The second question we ask is, do you turn to Jesus Christ and confess him as your Lord and Savior? If the first question is setting up our no to our past, to our sin, to the enemy, the second question is setting us up to say a really big yes to Jesus and the way of the kingdom. Saying yes to Jesus as our Savior, the one who by his grace is bringing us into his family, but also saying yes to him as our Lord, the one who is now informing us in how we are to engage in the world. And then the the third question is simply, do you want to be baptized into the Christian faith? Or especially the question I word as I talk to children is, do you want to join God's family through baptism? Now, in our view, baptism is not just a public declaration of your faith, but it's actually like an event. It's It's a work of the Holy Spirit where God does something. He pours out his spirit into your life. It's effectual. It does something. And as we begin this new year, I want, to, I want to invite you to reaffirm and to remember and to even renew your baptism, effectively asking you to remind yourself who you are, to, to remind yourself what you've said yes to and who you've said yes to and what, that, what he says about you. Who am I this year? I'm one who has renounced the forces of wickedness and who has said no to sinful desires. As you think about how you're going to engage in the world this year, no, I'm not going to do that because I'm one who has renounced the forces of wickedness and said no to sin. I'm one uh, who has been crucified with Christ. I am one who is, is dead to sin. As you think about who you are this year, we remember in our baptism, I am one who has renounced the forces of wickedness and said no to sinful desires. Who am I this year? I am one who has been saved by grace, not because of my attractiveness or my performance. I am one who has been saved by the mercy of God and one who now lives under the lordship of Christ. Who am I this year? I'm a person who has been forgiven. I'm a person who has been freed. I'm a person who follows the beat of a different drummer precisely for those reasons. I'm not going to engage in the way that you do because I'm a a part of the kingdom. I've said yes to following Jesus Christ as Lord. That's who I am. Who am I this year? 
I'm one who has been adopted into the family of God. I am one who is dead to sin and alive to Christ. I am one who is full of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I'm a person who is like on mission. I'm a person who has purpose. I'm a person who uh, needs to be on their toes at all times because we know God is working in the world. Having said no to sin and the devil and yes to God, we've positioned ourselves to being a completely open to the Lord and malleable in his hands willing to be used for his purposes and just ready at a moment's notice. All of us wear different hats. We're employees, uh, we're coaches, we're parents, we're spouses, we're friends, we're, you know, maybe you would identify with a political party, you know, so many different hats we wear, ways that we navigate our various social networks. But what I want you to remember this morning and I want, what I want to invite you just to call to mind is the deepest truth about who you are in relationship with our Heavenly Father. What you've said, what you've allowed to be said of yourself in being baptized into God's family, what you've said no to, what you've said yes to, and what our Heavenly Father has said about you. You are my son, my daughter that I love. With you, I am well pleased. If our doing flows from our being, then there's no more important thing that we can do as we begin this year than to truly remember who we are. Some of you may not have a great sense of self. Some of you may not know, like have a true witness within your own spirit that like you're part of God's family. You don't have that sense of like having been freed and forgiven. And you just need to entrust your life to Jesus as you begin this year. You need to surrender yourself to him, make yourself completely available to him so that you can hear him speak those words over you of one who is loved and implicitly approved, one who has belonging and acceptance in the eyes of the Father. And then for many of us, we don't need to be taught something new. We just need to remember what's already true and invite the Spirit to help our doing align with our being. Who am I? I'm his son. I'm his daughter who's loved, with whom he's well pleased, dead to sin, alive to Christ, full of the Holy Spirit. John Wesley, who was an Anglican priest and founded the, the Methodist movement, in, in, in his tribe, he regularly, especially at the beginning of the year, invited people to remember and to reaffirm their baptism. And as part of this process, he led them through a covenant prayer. And as we close today, I want to guide us through this covenant prayer. And maybe you'll go back and listen to these words and consider how you can adopt them for yourself as a prayer of complete and absolute surrender and trust. Wesley prayed, I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or lay aside by you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full or let me be empty. Let me have all things or let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. Let's pray together. I imagine 
sitting in your living room or at your place of work. There's some of those who are listening who would really identify with that first question in baptism. Do you renounce the forces of wickedness and uh, repent of your sin? And you just know there's stuff that you battled with in 2020 that you want to leave behind, things that you want to say no to. And you've resisted bringing that into the open, confessing it to God, or even honestly being truthful with yourself or with others. And you just need to release that to the Lord. Maybe you confess it a lot, just like, Lord, I, I want to leave behind. I confess to you that I am enslaved by this sin. Maybe you confess it to a brother or sister. And Lord, I repent of this. I want to say no to this in 2021 because it's not who I am. I'm one who is dead to sin. I just invite you right now that you just confess that. Lord, I, I ask you to free me from this, or I confess that I've struggled with this. Or maybe there's some of you who, in, in praying and thinking today, you've, there are no like obvious sins that you're struggling with, but you know like you really like holding the reins of your life. And you're unwilling to submit to Jesus as your Lord. There are sermons or scriptures that you've read in the past that you're like, yeah, that applies to me if it's convenient. And in 2021, you'd reaffirm your baptism and say, no, like I've, I have surrendered my life to Jesus as Lord. And in a fresh way, you would just say, Lord, again, it's on the table. And then I imagine there are many who just struggle with identity and worth, and you need to hear the words again. Jesus, I pray that you pour out your spirit on, on everybody who's listening. That you would enable us by your spirit to say no to sin, to say yes to Christ as our Lord and our Savior, and to live in the freedom of one in whom the Spirit of God dwells. Pray, Lord Jesus, that this would be a year in which we grow, like we have like, like lead feet, like really firmly planted feet in who we are. That we would know beyond a shadow of doubt, like that we have worth and intrinsic meaning and purpose because we are one who's been adopted into your family and died with Christ and been given new life and been filled with the Holy Spirit. Help us to live and work from this identity and not in order to gain one from someone else or through some kind of accomplishment. Lord, we lay this year on the table. Our hands are open. Our hearts are open. Do with us what you want. Do with Cornerstone what you want. Shake us up. Uh, we, we just surrender the whole deal to you, our life to you, our families to you. We are open and we are available. We trust you. We honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, as you go, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. God loves you. God bless you. See you around.